Hey everyone, this is Aaron. You know, my good friend, Rachel Wojo of rachelwojo.com reached out to me recently and said, there is someone you have to interview. I think you guys will hit it off. My guest today is Scott Savage. Scott is a follower of Jesus and he is a pastor. He's a writer. He's an author. He focuses on forgiveness, the wilderness and identity in Christ. He is married with three children. He lives in Prescott, Arizona. And he loves to laugh loud and does his best to live up to his last name. I know you're going to enjoy today's episode. Grab a notebook because you're going to want to take some notes. But also, Scott was kind enough to actually include a link where you can get resources for all of our discussion today. Here's my guest, Scott Savage. Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. My name is Corby LaCroix, and the song you're hearing right now is called Great and Mighty One, available on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your music. But for now, recording from the Unscripted Studio, here's your host and my friend, Aaron Conrad. Great Redeemer, God of grace. All right, everybody, welcome back to Unscripted from my studios in Columbus, Ohio. I like my guy's studio today. If, if when I put out the video, you're gonna have to see his studio. It looks pretty sweet. It looks pretty sweet. So, <laughs> Scott, can you introduce yourself, and we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, my name is Scott Savage. I'm a pastor, author, and speaker. I live in Prescott, Arizona, a little bit north of Phoenix, and I am living a life that I never planned to be in the middle of. Um, I know a lot of people wake up where they never plan to be. And that certainly is me. Uh, I'm a son of a pastor, but I didn't want to kind of go down this path. When I was 14 years old, my dad had a stalker. Uh, it was kind of like a law and order episode. She called our house every day. She sat in the parking lot, watched us walk to our car. She created the, this kind of fantasy idea about her and my dad getting together for liaisons at church and kind of blasted the whole church about it. And so it was just a really difficult time you know, I was a teenager figuring out myself, but also like, I don't want to put my family through this. I don't want to go through this. And so I told a, a mentor when I was in high school, it'll be a cold day in hell when I'm a pastor. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and as I just mentioned, you know, that, that day is here. And so yeah. I, I'm just kind of living a life that I didn't expect, but I, um, really feel like part of my purpose on this planet is to use my words to build up other people, especially the places in them that have been torn down and broken and hurt. So I love working with um, people who are going through a discouraging or difficult season, helping them to find hope, helping them to find healing, and uh, giving them practical resources so they can find a future on the other side of the moment they never planned to be in. Well, now you all know why this is going to be a good interview today. <laughs> that was just a preview, and there was a ton in there. We could probably unpack each one of those for this episode. Uh, you said it, you, you're an author, uh, podcaster. You do some podcasting. You preach. Uh, you write for Relevant Magazine. Uh, what, what is the Air One connection? I saw that as well. Yeah, I, I love the internet. It, it it's a it's a great <laughs> spot for serendipity. I mean, there's lots of you know vitriol and scum on the internet, but it's a serendipitous place. And so, um, I had written an article a number of years ago for Relevant about St. Patrick's Day. Uh, one of my favorite people in all of history is Patrick. His story is amazing, and 
this I got this email through my website one day. Uh, just it was a rando kind of contact us email, and it was this this crew from Air One that said, "Hey, we were out looking for some content for our social media. We found your article on St. Patrick for St. Patrick's Day. We would love to talk to you about." writing together. And at first I thought it was spam, you know, is this like a Nigerian yeah. King offered me $60 million. <laughs> and yeah, I, I followed up and hopped on a zoom call and they were real people. And so, uh, yeah, for four years I've been writing with air one, trying to help them get the story behind their music out and then help people mm-hmm. connect to the scriptural kind of foundational context for the things that they do. So they're a great team over there and I love working with them. Completely different conversation, but uh, I love what they've done with it because for a while it was kind of the rock alternative. I remember, right? It was the rock alternative to K-Love, mm-hmm. and now it's more praise and worship. They've really gone all in on that. And I know most of the cars in our fleet of vehicles here at the house, including my kids, are on 99.3 here in Columbus, and that's Air One. Uh, I, I have it on during the day. I, I just love what they've done with that station, so I was curious about Air One. Yeah, I, I write. I, I read an article from every week called Behind the Song. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Behind the Music on VH1. And so I basically tell the story of scripture. And if I can find stuff online, kind of the the origin story of songs. And so it's fun to dive in. And over the last kind of few months, it's been cool um, to see, you know, artists like Brandon Lake or Phil Wickham um, share, you know, the articles that I've written and kind of dialogue on Instagram a little bit about, you know, the, the, the things they're doing. That's awesome, man. I didn't know that because I hear those all the time and I did not know that. How about that? Gosh, this is going to be interesting. And I have to tell you, it was funny. I I wrote a blog post once um, that uh, it was about Miley Cyrus and it was called The End of Our Innocence. And it was just Mm. a blog post. And, uh, but you know, to your point, um, uh, what do you call it? I Am Second picked it up. And and it kind of went viral on their site. So I had a very similar experience and it was awesome. And I'm like, I got the email. I'm like, come on. You know, I am second. Are you serious? And so it's it's so cool when that happens. Um, all right. And I want to talk about um, something that I, as I looked and researched, uh, I, this is going to, I think, hit home with a lot of people. And I think it goes back to your words about encouraging other people, because I think a lot of people are in this season. I myself left a season of burnout and have kind of been circling the drain, honestly, for probably three to five years. Mm. Um, and so I really want to talk about that because you've written about that. You've got uh, you you version out on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you kind of walk through that and talk about what you've done and maybe your experience and, and just tell your story a little bit because I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, so if you go back to my first semester in seminary, uh, I was working, you know, on a, a degree that was going to set me up for uh, a life as a pastor. My first semester, I had a, prof- a professor that taught this class that really was kind of a foundations class to kind of set you up for your seminary career. And as a part of it, he had a one-on-one with every student near the end of the semester. And he would just give us some feedback. I think he was trying to speak life into us. These are some things that I see you're really gifted at. Here's some materials that we did in the class. I think he was trying to coach us a little bit in terms of the next few years of our life. And I remember him just sitting me down and saying, Scott, you know, you have incredible capacity. You've got a lot of passion and giftedness. I just want to warn you that I think your motor runs so high and your passion is so strong that if you don't take care of your soul, and this is, maybe this isn't his language, but this is kind of how I remember it. If you don't mm-hmm. care for your soul and watch your pace, I could see you struggling with burnout in the future. And uh, at that point, he was almost 80 years old. It was it was kind of like a prophetic, you know, looking back prophetic moment because, you know, six years later, I found myself in the throes of burnout. 
Uh, I'd gone through seminary, a four-year degree plan in three years. I got married. I'd worked a second and third job to help us get out of credit card debt. Our church had gone through a ton around the Great Recession. And so I just found myself running at an unsustainable pace. And I was in a leadership meeting. Our our ministry needed to pivot. And I was the leader. Everybody looked at me and said, hey, where should we go? And I was like, I don't know. I don't have any vision anymore. And sermons had become difficult to write. Um, and so I, I took a day, went away. Luckily, there was a family in the church that had a, a beautiful home with kind of a guest house pool area. And so I just went and sat out there for a day just to try to be quiet and get a sense mm-hmm. of not only where am I at, but but where, what do I sense God saying? And, and I realized that I had I had run my life at a pace and I'd run my leadership at a pace that my soul couldn't keep up with. I started doing the, these really important jobs to try to get a sense of validation and value and approval that was really unhealthy. Um, when you're in a serving profession, your job is to serve people, not fill up some broken place in yourself through your service. And that's where I think all sorts of mixed motives come in. And I was certainly in that place. Um, and I just realized that I had to come back and and reestablish a sense of who I was apart from, you know, the responses and opinions of people and even my performance and the work I was doing. And so that began an almost nine month period where I didn't speak publicly. It's the longest time I've gone without being on a stage. Um, I did a ton of work uh, on my own heart and soul. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of a journey that would happen, I think, in in chunks over the next five or six years to kind of walk me through that process. Um, I think once you've burned out, it becomes a a path that you can slip back into very easily um, because Mm -hmm. you have that capacity and that pattern in you. But it takes a a level of vigilance and awareness to, to walk a different path. And I think if you don't do the work to understand what are the things that facilitate me going down that path, um, you know, you can end up there easily. And so that's been my challenge in the, you know, decade or so since has been going, okay, how do I, how do I live my life in such a way that I have the capacity and, and foundation to do this really important public work that I do? Um, no one's going to tell me, Hey, Scott, you need to take half a day and go work on yourself. Nobody's going to say, Scott, Hey, how are you sleeping? Uh, how are you exercising? Uh, how are you taking care of your soul? How are you doing in your emotional health? No one's going to ask me those questions. Um, mm-hmm. I have to, to do that for myself if I want to continue to serve other people. And so um, I've written a lot over the last few years, kind of unpacking my experience and trying to, to get the nuggets of wisdom out to be able to help other people. Because I think the last three or four years have just been violent on the hearts and souls of people. And so many people are in the situation you're describing where they just feel like they're barely hanging on. Yeah. Did you find that, um, you gave everything to everyone else and not yourself in that season of, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that I found the needs of other people to be both more urgent and more important than my own needs. And I think there yeah. are times where the needs of others are more seem more urgent than yours. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, to go back to that Eisenhower matrix that, the you know, the president, you know, came out with in the 50s, you know, Dwight D. Eisenhower, you know, uh, what is important, what is urgent, what is one but not the other, and then what is neither. Um, I just found that that the, the care for my own soul as a leader um, was never going to be the most urgent until it was too late but it would always be important. And so I had to constantly be asking myself, yes, I feel these pressing needs coming in that seem so urgent. And maybe for them, things have gotten so bad that, hey, this is so, so important. But if I don't, if I don't care for myself, I can't care for them. Um, and I, I, if I'm not caring for myself, I'm hypocritically caring for them because I'm trying to teach them to practice something that I know intellectually, but I'm not living practically. Yeah. That's what I found for myself, what you just said. And and I think, especially in the role that you're in, maybe in a, a very small way, you know, as an encourager, um, you know, for me, writing blog posts or doing podcasts or putting content on the internet, you know, making shorts and reels and all those things, right? They're supposed to be positive and everybody, oh, you're such an encourager. In the meantime, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. Literally, and maybe even physically, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm going through... And to your point, I'm looking at myself in the mirror and saying, man, I'm glad they see that because I could sure use that myself. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such a weird situation to be in. Did you find that in your season of burnout, when you look back now, is there gaps of time that you don't even remember because you were basically just existing? Yeah, I mean, I was I was going from, you know, and that season I was I was preaching at a pace that if I heard somebody else was doing that many Sundays a year, I would literally like call an intervention and go, dude, we've got to get you help. No one should be no one should be doing that many. Um, And I just was living from, you know, meeting to meeting, deadline to deadline, sermon to sermon, just really in survival mode. Um, As I look back, it was also the season that I became a dad for the first time. So I, I had my first child in the spring of 2012. And I would say burnout really arrived in an intense way late in the summer of 2012. So I think it was a variety of factors um, for me. But but as I look back, there's a big period there where it's like, I, I can look back and go, oh, I remember preaching on that. And I remember doing that. But I don't remember, uh, you know, really highs in that period, which to me is always an indication that if if you have a blurry season, it's it's not a whole lot of highs and lows. It's just kind of existing. Right. Right. And the thing about burnout now is it's a buzzword. So you said 2012. In 2012, it wasn't a buzzword. It wasn't something everybody was talking about. A lot like mental health is now. Mental health has always been around. We've always had it. We just Mm -hmm. didn't identify it and then accept it and talk about it. Um, I feel like that's where burnout is maybe headed if it's not already there is it's always been around. You just had to get through it. And now Mm -hmm. we're talking about it, which I appreciate, Um, not just today, but also openly and publicly, people are talking about burnout. So I I really appreciate all your insight and honestly, uh, how much you've shared already. When you started to go out of the burnout, when did you, you went on a sabbatical? When did you go on sabbatical? No, I I wasn't in it. You know, it it was one of those things where it, it, it ended up kind of being like an unintentional sabbatical. I I was in a, a church environment that didn't value mental health, that didn't value emotional health that didn't have a pattern of sabbaticals, you know, it was kind of like, uh, you can have a sabbatical, you quit and you leave. Like that, that mm. was what sabbatical was. That's your uh, sabbatical. What, what, yeah, what, once we suck the life out of you. And mm. so as I look back at that season, what happened was we ended up closing down this ministry that I was leading, which was 
intensely painful. You know, we lost relationships. We lost friends because people didn't agree with the decision. You know, we literally had to change our will at one point uh, because relationships had changed so much. But what happened was it it forced me to rest uh, and it forced me to step back um, when we made that decision to let go of that. And so what happened was it, it kind of created an unintentional period that then I think God used to help me slow my pace down and begin to do some of the things again that that led me by the time it was, you know, late spring of 2013, where I was at a place that I had something to give again because I was in a healthier place. You know, looking back, if I was coaching like myself or I had a friend who was in my shoes in that season, I would be giving some very specific direction. And, you know, in our in our campus where we, you know, our church where we do have, you know, uh, resources to send staff to go see therapists and we have a regular sabbatical policy, we would be kind of rolling some things into place around somebody's in that position. But um, it's, it was more the grace of God, I think, that kind of gave me some opportunities there uh, to step back to slow the pace down and um, to begin to refuel and heal so that I could, you know, give again from a place that was, um, was healthy. And the, so the burnout and then the experience you just had, I, I have said it before. I don't, you don't win or lose a game on the last shot. That's the one everybody remembers, mm-hmm. but you win or lose a game throughout the game and decisions that you make. Correct. And as you were talking, I was thinking about, as I've reflected on where I've been the last, like, five years and particularly the last 40 days, honestly. Mm. Um, I, I think what I found is that, um, I went through a season similar to what you just said with in ministry. Um, I think, you know, you caught some L's I, I, for me, I'm saying this, um, I caught some L's and you just take it in stride, but you really didn't take it in stride. Mm -hmm. And, and eventually all those losses add up. And then when it all really crumbles and you're sitting in burnout, and I, I want to get your feedback on that. Um, when you're sitting in that burnout, or you're sitting in this season of, okay, how did I get here and how am I going to make it out? Um, you look back and realize, gosh, it goes way back to this, 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 that I never acknowledged. I never dealt with. I just kept moving forward. And especially someone like yourself that works hard, right? I, I'm just going to keep working. I'm going to work my way out of this. I'll take the next job. I'll do the next thing. Um, do you have? Did you find that? Yeah, I mean, I I think that it's really easy in the moment to tell a story to other people and yourself that doesn't require as much honesty, that doesn't require as much ownership, and that doesn't force you to do, I think, the most important work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we I think we 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 like to scapegoat, we like to blame, and we like really simple black and white answers. Um, yeah. And 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 most of the time, when you're in a situation that is as uh, complex and nuanced as burnout, the the story to get you there is equally complex and nuanced. You know, so you were talking about you know taking those L's. I'm reminded of a quote from a guy named Terry Wardle, and his quote is: "Ministry is a series of ungrieved losses." But I believe life is a series of ungrieved losses. We live in a culture that does not do grief well. Um, If you know anybody who has lost someone recently, uh, say in the last year, ask them about what kind of support and interaction they had around that death and their family and then the the grief that came with it. You know, we give a very short amount of bereavement time to someone who's an employee in a company. Uh, People don't really know how to support them. And then within about three months, if they're still grieving, which they, they should be if they're really grieving well, um, the, the statement is, aren't you over that by now? 
And right. so we, we aren't taught and kind of encouraged to grieve. And so as a result, we just kind of push those things down and move on. And, and the problem with grief is the grief does not have a calendar and it doesn't have a clock and it shows up at all the worst times and in all the worst ways. And so for me, uh, I went through uh, a sabbatical last summer and part of what I discovered on that sabbatical was I had more to grieve than I realized. I wasn't in mm. burnout, but I had gone through, you know, 20, 21, 22, early 23. And I'd had, I'd had more losses than I realized and I hadn't grieved them. And, and what I, what happened was I ended up on the way to a retreat and I ended up in the hospital because I had, I had been feeling off and I was in a parking, I pulled up to a target. I went inside and bought a blood pressure cuff. I put it on my arm. I was on the phone with my doctor and I said, Hey doc, I just, I just tested my blood pressure and it was 199 over 120. Which is pretty close. And you're a very fit guy. Oh yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I was headed. To, I was headed towards like stroke level, and right. so what? What happened? By the time I got to the you know ER, the numbers had gone down. By the time I did all my tests, everything was clear. They're like, we think this is just anxiety. I think my body was carrying so much unresolved grief, low level anxiety that kind of was coming right. up. That I I think my body sensed, hey, we're going to go on this retreat and we're going to begin to deal with all this stuff that I was feeling the physical manifestations of that. So I, mm. I would just encourage people, even if you go, I'm not burned out, if you're not attentive to the things that have happened to you and how those are impacting you, those will have a compounding effect that eventually you have to pay a price for. Um, mm. And so for me, a big part of that 90-day sabbatical was crying more than I expected, sitting in a therapist office more than I expected, journaling and reflecting more than I expected to unpack all of those losses so that my grief didn't come out on my family, my mm. friends, or those I lead as anger. Because a lot mm. of times anger is just the first level of deep, unresolved grief. And so when you encounter people who are really, really angry, uh, often it's like, hey, you're angry, but what are you angry about? Where's that mm. anger coming? They're really just grieving and sad and broken over the state of things. Um, and if you can then begin to work through that, there's profound healing that can come where then you can be healthy in whatever the next role, the next season your relationships are. So um, I've experienced that firsthand and um, I'd encourage people um, you know, to be more attentive to your griefs and your losses, um, especially after what we've been through kind of collectively in the last few years. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was the whole, everybody dealt with that. But as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, a year ago, um, a year ago, November, I lost one of my best friends growing up. He was like mm -hmm. a brother to me. And um, the weekend of his funeral, literally I got home that night and our family dog of, I think 13 years died that night. And I'm just thinking about that now and thinking, yeah, I cried, you know, and, you know, and cried with my friends at the funeral and cried with my family when our dog died. And I know it's just, you know, I don't want to say it's just a dog, but I mean, it's like losing a family member mm -hmm. and especially on the heels of yeah. that other one. And, mm -hmm. and to be honest with you, you know, it, it's like, okay, now that's starting to make sense. Why that's just two things in a 48 hour span mm -hmm. that um, probably prompted a lot of another downward spiral when I was maybe trying to make my way out of it. Um, I don't know. I, I, that's really, really interesting. And, um, well, I, yeah, I would just say, gosh. I think a lot of us who have that, you know, I'm, I'm a third generation workaholic. Mm. So, you know, my grandfather 
has a silver star. He passed away in 2014. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He defended his machine gun turret by himself for 36 hours um, against the Nazis. Um, he worked until he was 91 years old, um, servicing dry cleaners. My dad uh, just re stepped away from his lead pastor position after 41 years um, serving the same church. Um, he's not retiring. He's just transitioning into the next season. I have that same DNA in me. Right. And so it's really important for me to, to recognize that um, I need to be aware of what's motivating that motor, what's driving mm. that motor. And sometimes when there is like deep pain and unresolved grief, um, it can become like a fuel and I can kind of run from it in doing my work. But like all fuels, some burn clean and some burn dirty. And mm. what I have found is that when your work is motivated by what you're running from, or what you're reacting to, if you're running on bitterness and anger and resentment, those can fuel your work in a really strong way. But over time, those fuels will burn dirty and they'll, they'll create all sorts of unintended consequences and, and kind of second and third order things. And so over time, that, that fuel will become less and less effective and you'll have more and more fallout. And so I would just encourage people, you can keep going. You know, mm -hmm. I remember that Monty Python movie. It's just a flesh wound. It's just a flesh but, <laughs> but that's how I think a lot of us, you know, move forward. We're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep going. And mm -hmm. you can't always just take time off. I know there's a lot of professions that don't allow for sabbatical and there's right. financial realities for our families. But it, if you don't attend to your soul, if you don't attend to your body, you'll have one of those like wake up moments, like a heart attack. Um, or a panic attack that puts you in the ER, um, you'll wake up and not be able to get out of bed. And so if you don't attend to those things, eventually they will make you attend mm. to them. And I just would encourage people, it's hard to face this stuff, yeah. um, but it's much better to face it in the moment than it is to go six months, a year, two years down the road, and then have more to unpack and often less resources to unpack it with. Right. Man, this has been so good. And I promise everyone it's unscripted. I did not know all the, uh, we were going to talk about today. I would also speak to my fellow empaths. Um, cause I have a tendency to work my way out of things anyway, just get busy. Right. And, and idle time is not my friend. My daughter was actually telling me something that she goes to Liberty and she said somebody was speaking at Liberty University and said that the devil is in the hallway. Mm. And I'm like, man, that is, Brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. And I, I haven't forgotten her saying that it is in the hallway. It's in those waiting times in between things. And so I'm going to unpack that uh, in another episode someday. But um, I, for my empaths out there, I would say a lot of what you said in terms of workaholic, we feel everything. And so we wear everything, sometimes even physically. Mm -hmm. um, we take it on and we so, you know, where you were saying work and things like that, I think empaths feel it 10 times more and harder and deeper. And if you're not dealing with that, which I'm speaking to myself, I'm preaching to my own choir. Um, if you're not going to deal with that, then that's going to really creep up on you in other ways, uh, potentially habits, uh, bad habits that become a real problem. And that's where it became for me. Um, I found that you know, as you said, some people can't take time off of work. Um, you know, so sabbatical may be hard for them. Um, but I found that you can do little things. Like for me, it was, I'm going to get off social media apps for a while. 
I'm just going to kind of disappear. Not, not for everybody else, but for myself, I, you know, because I'm already dealing with enough. I don't need to deal with what I see in my, my timeline that everybody else is dealing with. Um, that was just one thing, you know, um, I didn't want to deal with an imposter syndrome either where I felt like I have to be this for everybody. I can't be that for you right now. And for me, it was, for me, I just felt like I am one of the last people in the world to ask for help. And, uh, I went to a, a meeting one night, 40 days ago, 41 days today. And I sat there thinking, Aaron, this is one of the first times in your life you're asking for help but it's maybe the most important time you've ever asked for help. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, just sharing that too, because I don't know where this is going to land today and who's going to hear it, but I have a feeling and I'm hoping and that God will have it land right where it's supposed to with whoever it needs to hear. it. Um, One of the things that I wanted to ask you about too, because you've spoken on this is forgiveness because it's a big, big part of, I think coming out of that season, we've been hurt at some point. Um, uh, You know, and I don't want to speak for everybody or you. I just know that, hurt can be a really difficult thing. And if you don't deal with that and deal with forgiveness, that's just another brick in the wall to quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to quote. Yeah, these, these are often yeah. kind of mingled together. Yeah. So can you talk about forgiveness for a little bit? Yeah. I mean, most of the time when I am in a, a social environment and forgiveness comes up, people have very intense reactions. Because as soon as the you said the word forgiveness, my guess is the listeners had someone come to mind yeah. who hurt them. Mm. And, uh, and so as a result, forgiveness is rarely a theoretical conversation. It is almost always a personal conversation. Uh, in, in my work with forgiveness, I have found a, uh, a really intense reaction to it because most people that I've encountered have a um, misunderstanding around forgiveness, that they um, have brought together a number of different topics and merged them into one that we refer to as forgiveness. And so when you bring up the topic of forgiveness, often people are like, well, if I forgive them, it means I have to forget that it ever happened. If I forgive them, it means that um, there's going to be no consequence for what they did. If I Mm. forgive them, it means I have to trust them again, let them back into my life. If I forgive them, it means we have to reconcile with one another and go back to the way things were. If I forgive them, uh, it means I just have to pretend that I, I don't hurt and that there's not a deep wound from this. And so as a result, a lot of times people, because of those beliefs, go, there's no way I could ever forgive. Uh, but what I have found is that forgiveness doesn't require those things. Uh, forgiveness it is not um, is the first step that opens the door for you to examine those things. But forgiveness is first and foremost you saying, "Hey, if I carry the bitterness and the woundedness and the betrayal and the hurt from what happened to me, if I carry it with me and if I live from it, it will not only destroy me from the inside out." but it will wreck every good thing and every good relationship in my life. And Mm. so I believe forgiveness is first and foremost something that happens between an individual and God where you abandon your pursuit of revenge. You decide that you're going to pay the consequence of what happened to you rather than, than searching and forcing someone else to pay. And you just deciding, hey, I don't want to live in bondage and brokenness anymore. I want to be free. And, and that 
is a life changing decision and it's a life altering process. Um, yeah. Forgiveness is the single hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, but it is the reason that after going through burnout in my late 20s, after leading through the pandemic, uh, I've been serving in churches for almost 18 years. Uh, I got a lot of scars. Uh, the reason mm-hmm. that I'm still here is the forgiveness God has given me and the forgiveness he's given me the resource to be able to give other people. Um, so I love what Henry Cloud says. He says, forgiveness is about the past. Reconciliation is about the present. And trust is about the future. So when we're doing forgiveness work, we're, we're looking at what happened in the past and we're saying, hey, I'm going to, somebody has to pay the price for what happened. I'm going to pay the price, which is going to be hugely costly. But once I pay it, I can move on as opposed to holding on to this chit and seeking to always get that debt paid by somebody else. And then mm-hmm. once you've dealt with the past, then you can wrestle with, well, what do I want to do in the present? And then what do I want to do in the future? The way I talk to people about it is forgiveness involves me reconciliation involves we and trust takes time so the Mm. only thing you're really in control of or have some agency towards is forgiveness Mm. when it comes to reconciliation that person may be dead they may be dead to you and you can never reconcile they may not want ever to reconcile with you they may not do what it takes to reconcile with you i mean reconciliation has a bunch of factors that you're not in control of and trust is something that's built over years and it's lost in moments and so the rebuilding of it takes a tremendous amount of time and patience and so i encourage people when forgiveness comes up to say hey let's set aside reconciliation let's set aside trust for another day and let's begin to work on the healing that has to happen in your own heart through forgiveness. And then as that process gets going and we start making some progress, then we can revisit that person and go, can reconciliation happen and should trust be rebuilt? So that's a long answer, but that's kind of how I approach and, and teach forgiveness. It's a big topic, so it requires a long answer. And I think grace is a wonderful thing. It's easier to say than do. Um, 100%. But, you know, I and I found for me in this last season here of, of just evaluating some things, there was a phrase that came to mind and it just said, I'm still waiting for a um, an apology that's never going to come. Hmm. And I just had to come to grips with that. Like, that email, that text, that phone call is never going to happen. And to your point, I've paid, <laughs> literally paid mm-hmm. the cost of that. And it's time for me to move on um, mm-hmm. because the apology is never going to come. It's not. And, and, and that's very true. It's so funny. Right before we got on, I saw a quote uh, and I'll destroy the quote because I don't remember it word for word, but it was uh, from Nelson Mandela. And he basically said, when I walked out of the doors of that prison, I had to tell myself if I'm not going to forgive and if I'm going to hold on to bitterness, then I might as well just lock myself back in it because I'm not leaving the prison. Mm -hmm. And I I just ruined the quote, but that was the gist of it. And I I just read that right before we got on here. And I'm like, man, that's really powerful. Um, It's a really, really difficult thing for a lot of people to do. But again, I think these are all building blocks in that rebuilding process that you talked about. Um, what what are the best ways for people to follow you, um, find your, you know, I I jumped on the, the YouTube or the U version this morning. I signed mm-hmm. up. I'm going to go through that. Uh, so can you just walk through all the links for people yeah, where they I can mean, find podcasts you've done, things like that? 
The best place uh, for people who've listened to this episode to find me is if you head to scottsavagelive.com slash unscripted. Uh, I've got a list of links there that highlight some things that we talk about, um, along with some free resources that I think will equip you uh, for the areas uh, that Aaron and I have explored. Um, I'm also a content partner for the Uversion Bible app, so you can just hop on Uversion and in search where you typically search for uh, Bible verses, just search for my name, Scott Savage, and you'll find the content that I'm adding there. Um, I'm really active on social media, Scott Savage Live. And my website is scottsavagealive.com. So if I can serve you in any way through uh, writing or speaking, would love to. And um, Aaron, I just appreciate, you know, your transparency and your willingness to go there. Um, uh, I think every time I've spoken about this topic, I ask people to raise their hand and I say, hey, how many of you are where you thought you would be? Mm. And very few hands go up. Um, And yet what we see, I think most powerfully in the story of Elijah in the Bible is when we find ourselves beaten up, burned out, ready to throw in the towel, and we're like, I never thought I would be here. Um, We often are right on the verge um, of an encounter with God and a life-changing kind of pivot in our journey. And so I would just encourage people, um, don't give up. step back and and start taking care of your soul um and uh on the other side of this you're going to have a tremendous story and resource to offer and help people but you can only do that if you stop right now and put the oxygen mask on and begin yeah. to care for yourself so um take some time to do that um and trust that there'll be an opportunity on the other side of this um to be able to serve and and be a resource to others so uh, i'd love to be able to be that for you and so again scottsavagelive.com/unscripted is where you can find a bunch of stuff we talked about today man i'm i'm blown away that's never happened to me before i've done your 200 and uh, my 271st episode and I've never had anybody set up a web page for me before. <laughs> That's well, pretty cool, man. We, That's I, pretty I, cool. I, I figured since we went there, you know, and we're talking <laughs> about this kind of heavy stuff. I mean, it's been a great conversation, but yeah. if you're really going to start doing the work, um, you know, you're going to need some tools. So I'd love to yeah. be able to resource um, listeners. And, and what you're doing, Aaron, here is is really important. We live in a culture of sound bites. Um, and Instagram reels and TikToks and YouTube shorts. And those are fantastic. But right. really to dive into our stories and really start pursuing healing, you need more than 90 seconds. And so yeah. I just appreciate that you've gone first. Uh, there was a lady that I used to know. Her name was Anne, and she called the gift of going second. So yep. you've given people the gift of going second by going first and sharing your story. And um, I think the place you've created here is just going to be a great resource for people um, as they kind of navigate where they never plan to be and end up somewhere new and breathtaking. Well, man, I, I can't thank you enough because, you know, I can, I can sit here and go first, but somebody has to fill in the, the blanks a little bit. And you've done that as well. I think I would say you went first and I got to go second because you okay. shared your story with me well, and you came on and, uh, and I'm, I'm very thankful that you came on and we're so transparent as well because, and that's, I, I guess I've always believed even in my darkest days, our best days are still ahead. Mm-hmm. We have to believe that, especially mm-hmm. now where we are in the world. And I guess I want to encourage everybody to your best days are still ahead. I, mm-hmm. you know, if something has, has triggered you today or something has, has brought you to a place where you want to learn more, thank you for that, that link, because hopefully there are, and you know, there are people that will go and find those tools, but do so knowing your best days are still ahead, no Absolutely. matter how bad they are. I mm-hmm. mean, 
in the pit of where I was, I still believe my best days were still ahead. And mm-hmm. I, I just believe we have to believe that. And if, yeah. if not, then it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, and, you know, and I don't want to see that for anyone having well, experienced a lot of freedom myself here. Recently. I mean, even just if you look at Mandela's story, you know, you shared that quote. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, he was not a young man when he left that prison. Um, you know, he was an older man, but what he'd experienced and the profound transformation that he'd gone through became a gift to the world that still lives on today. And so I would just encourage you that your own transforming self, the work that you're doing in your own soul, the work he did in that prison cell all those years was what gave him the platform and the foundation to do that work, to heal a nation and, and have an impact on the whole world. And so mm-hmm. um, it may be hard to see that your best days are ahead. And in terms of lifespan, you may have more years behind you than you mm-hmm. have in front of you. But the work you're doing right now determines the quality of those years and the quality of the impact and the gift you can give other people is the work you've done on yourself. So there's this deep well to draw from that you then can offer your friends, your family, and the people that you know you have the gift to encounter. So um, yeah, I, I'm tremendously hopeful uh, that even through what we talked about, grief, burnout, uh, betrayal, forgiveness, you know, all those things on the other side of that, um, you are a powerful force uh, for good in this world um, based upon what happens in this season of your life. And I'll just put one last bow on that in that um, I think as you've talked about, I've talked about, I think in our work to help others in our mind that we're helping others in our workaholic ways or doing everything for everyone ways, we think we're helping and the reality is we're empty to mm-hmm. your point. So, it, you know, you're actually way more powerful and helpful when you're uh, as whole as you can be. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I just, and I, I'm learning that as well. I thought I was being helpful, but I was actually probably doing more damage, <laughs> mm. you know, because I wasn't my best self and I wasn't, um, you know, I just wasn't myself. And my wife recently said that it's good to have you back, you know, mm. um, what a gift. and that, gosh, yeah. Cause you know, and then it makes you think, gosh, I, I was really, I didn't even know who I was. So, um, man, this has been awesome. We have to do this again. Absolutely. Um, anytime, because there's a lot more to talk about. <laughs> There's a lot more to talk about, but you, you have been wonderful. Uh, thank you again for the resource page. Can you give that out one more time? Yeah. ScottSavageLive.com slash unscripted. Uh, if, uh, if you will enter your email there, I'll send you a link and a number of resources to be able to help you and equip you take your next step in the areas that we've just scratched the surface with. And you have a mailing list as well on your website and then you're on socials. So uh, give my guy Scott some support. Yeah. You know, get behind it, get a regular uh, rhythm with him and everything that he's doing because he's doing a lot, but he's doing it well. And uh, man, I just appreciate your time today. Thanks, Aaron. You're very kind. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Unscripted Podcast with your host, Aaron Conrad, from his studio in Old Hilliard. Make sure to like, share, follow, and review on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, make sure to check out my song, Great and Mighty One, on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your music. We'll see you next time on Unscripted with Aaron Conrad.